This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Psalm chapter 31. John Huss may not be a household name today, but he was a bright light in the early days of the Protestant Reformation. This um, courageous man from the Czech Republic believed in what we now know as the core Reformation doctrines, upholding the sufficiency of Scripture and God's election and salvation, while teaching against the unbiblical doctrines of transubstantiation and the sale of indulgences. Needless to say, the church powers of the day were not a fan of John Huss. A hundred years before Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg Chapel door, John Huss was lured to come to a council, the Council of Constance, under the promise of safety. They said, if you'll show up, we will will guarantee your safety. But instead of finding refuge, he was thrown into prison until the day, about six months later, he was stripped of his clothing, decorated with a dunce hat, painted with devils, with the words arch-heretic written across it, all the while he prayed for that council. At his final hearing, a bishop uh, issued Huss's death decree, hissing the words, and now we commit thy soul to the devil. History records that just before he was burned at the stake, Huss was on bent knees, his arms extended, his eyes lifted to heaven, and he was reciting the Psalms with great fervor, particularly praying, Have mercy on me, O God, and in thee, O God, I put my trust. And he repeated the verse, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. And it was noticed by his friends that he prayed joyfully, and with a beautiful countenance. Those words that John Huss breathed over and over before the light of his life was extinguished were not only his, they were the words of King David, recorded in Psalm chapter 31. This psalm travels multiple places throughout the canon of Scripture. The prophet Jeremiah quotes from verse 13 how there is terror on every side, at least Half a dozen times. While Jonah was lodged in the belly of a great fish. Elementary students, we have you here with us for the month of June and July. We're glad you're here. The story of Jonah and the belly of the great fish is one I hope you already know. This is a true story. It wasn't made up. While Jonah's there, he prays to God about those who, quote, pay regard to vain idols, citing Psalm 31, verse 6. Psalm 71 borrows the opening lyrics of this song we're looking at today. Even our Lord Jesus, as his mind is set on the joy before him in redeeming for himself a people for his own pleasure and for his own name, he quotes Psalm 31.5 as he hung upon the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. So, from psalmists to prophets, from Christ Jesus himself to our lives today, Psalm 31 teaches us 
to trust in God, even when circumstances of our lives seem uncertain. Yet, this is not merely a psalm to keep close in death, but it is meant to be sung throughout life. The psalms are songs for all of life. And Psalm 31 is a brilliant example of how the Psalms meet a wide range of needs in the Christian life that go beyond the original experience of the psalmist. It's been our tradition at the trails to spend these summer months in the book of Psalms. I believe this hymnal held in the pages of Scripture plays a unique role in teaching us who God is who we are as image bearers of God, who Christ is and how they point to Christ and how to live life as worshipers of Jesus. Spurgeon said of the Psalms, more and more is the conviction forced upon my heart that every man must traverse the territory of the Psalms himself if he is to know what a goodly land they are. They flow with milk and honey but not to strangers. They're only fertile to lovers of their hills and vales. None but the Holy Spirit can give a man the key to the treasury of David. Happy is he who for himself knows the secret of the Psalms. And so I pray for us as we travel the territory of the Psalms this summer, that we might come to know ourselves firsthand what a good land they are, and that the Holy Spirit might unlock for us many truths and wonders from the treasure chest of this book. It's a privilege to take this first step into it this morning as we look at Psalm 31, which portrays the mind of David filled with truth and his heart filled with love for God, even in the midst of heavy troubles. In it, We find safety and gladness, sorrow and trust, hope and praise woven together in one remarkable song. Even this week, one line from it in verse 15, my times are in your hand has come up in almost daily conversation with my friends, with fellow pastors, with our children. I've had to remind myself a couple of times along the way. My times are in your hand. The phrase itself contains an ocean of comfort for the people of God. Can we just say that together? My times are in your hand. Our sermon will be shaped by three comforts flowing from that one wonderful truth. Because our times are in God's hands, we have first a refuge in every storm. Second, a song in every sorrow, and third, a hope in every season. For those of you new to the trails, normally we would stand now for the reading of God's Word, but it's a lengthy text, and I want you to be able to spend time in it, so I'm going to ask you just to remain seated. You can stand up in your hearts. Psalm 31. This is God's holy and inerrant Word. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. 
For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord. Faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And you've not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten, like one who's dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lips, lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. O how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord. All you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The first comfort I'd like to highlight from this text is because my times are in your hand. Say it with me. My times are in your hand. We have a refuge in every storm. Verses 1 to 8. There are real dangers and serious threats David is experiencing as he sings. Still, the song opens with this declaration of the strength and safety that David finds in the Lord. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. The pronouns, get it, how personal this is for him. In you, he speaks directly to his God. Oh Lord, I take refuge. As he sees his enemies descend all around him, 
David's thoughts fly to his God. As he sees his, this situation uh, grow darker, the light of God's faithfulness never leaves his sight. Verses 1 through 4 revisit some familiar terrain we've seen before in the Psalms. These vivid metaphors of God being a refuge of safety, a rock of stability, a fortress of provision. This imagery saturates David's mind as he thinks about who God is. You see, he has known throughout his life God to be his place of safety, his wall of security, his source of strength. Have you known God to be that in your life? Whether in the field of battle or in a city under siege, David does not fix his eyes on his enemy, but lifts his eyes to the God of his salvation. He calls out to God for deliverance, for an exodus from his troubles. He confesses, you are my rock, while at the same time praying, be my rock. He sings, you are my fortress, so be my fortress. David is asking God to reveal himself in ways that he already knows to be true. He knows these things, and now he wants to live in them, to experience them. That's what's happening in verses 1 to 4. Verse 5 contains a well-known prayer of consecration. We've referenced it already. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now those words are not resignation to chance or fate, nor are they fatalistic. Rather, they are a confession of full confidence in God's ability to deliver and protect. David submits his will to the will of God. These are the last words, of course, that Jesus prays from the cross. As he's being crucified, he laid down his life there, committing his spirit even unto death, committing it to his father. David here is committing his entire life completely to his heavenly father. And how can he do this with such confidence? I think the key is in verse 5. Because God is his faithful God. Those are covenantal terms. The God who has pledged and promised himself to David. And so as he sits hemmed in by danger all around, verse 7, because of the faithfulness of God, he says, you have seen my affliction and have known the distress of my soul. Seen and known. Now, wait a minute. That sounds a lot like Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, right? That we looked at just a couple of months ago. And here, it is as if he's, um, he's quoting what he already knows to be true. He's, he's remembering the Exodus that God delivered his people from. When God saw the suffering of his people, he remembered his promise. He heard their groanings and he knew. Well, David remembers God's saving act of deliverance of his people from Egypt. And he says simply, do it again, Lord. Do that for me. You're the God who delivers, and I need deliverance. And the songwriter knows that God has not forsaken him in his suffering, but he's with him. The Lord knows 
your distress, your pain from the smallest expression of it to its most severe blow. He knows. He sees. And God's not done with David's life. He's not delivered him into the hand of the enemy, but has led his feet to run through wide open spaces. Is his life perfect? Far from it. It's not even easy. But it's incredibly difficult in the moment that this song was written. Yet, David is able to sing, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. And I'd like to just pause here for just a moment and ask an honest question of one another. Are we able to rejoice and be glad in God in the midst of overwhelming situations? Honestly ask that. Are we able to rejoice and be glad in God even in the midst of overwhelming situations? Well, we don't always, but we are able. We are able to have joy in the midst of trials because of who we know God to be, because of how he has delivered us in the past, and because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he will never change. His faithful, steadfast love has been given to us in Christ. And so we can rejoice because God sees our pain. He knows our suffering. There will be an opportunity in your life sooner rather than later where you will need a rock to stand upon. And you have it. We will need God to be our refuge in the middle of a storm in our career or a tornado that tears through our relationships or the thundering news of a bad health report. And he will be our refuge. This is who he is. He is our rock. He's our strength, our fortress, our refuge. And so we go to him and ask our good father that we might experience him. And we pray things like, O rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Brothers and sisters, we can smile at the storm because we have a refuge in it. The second comfort we have in the Christian life, knowing my times are in your hand, let's say it together, my times are in your hand, is a song in every sorrow, verses 9 through 18. You know, when we reach verse 9, it's a little confusing. It seems like the joy and gladness and open space of God's refuge that we read of in verses 7 and 8 have turned to a sorrow-filled situation, closing in on all sides. The confidence seems to have washed away in a flash flood of tears. This psalm is actually following the pattern that many others do, where the center of the song is where the psalmist details his troubles. Now he's going to focus in on what that was like in the middle of this trouble. This section is technically described as a lament. Uh, to lament is the biblical process of how we work through our pains and griefs and suffering and sorrow as we go through life. 
This is um, a path we've already walked as a church, but one we will continue to need to learn lessons on throughout this life. There are four movements, primary movements to lamenting. First, to call upon God. Second, to tell Him our trouble. Third, ask Him to change things. And fourth, continuing to trust. What I'd like to do for a moment is just walk beside David as he walks through lament. First, he calls upon God. In verse 9, we hear how David cries out to God, which is the first step we are meant to take when troubles invade our lives. The Psalms teach us not to run from God in these situations, but to run to Him, to call upon Him, to pray. So that's exactly what David does. Second, to tell God your troubles. Now, there are two specific areas plaguing David's life in the story behind the song that he tells about. We don't know the specifics of this detail, but he communicates two things, each, each um, hinging on the word because. One is internal and the other is external. The internal trouble is his own sin. Look at verse 10. He says, my strength fails because of my iniquity. The line can literally be translated, my strength stumbles in my iniquity. The point here is that sin has weakened David as it does all of us. Don't you know that to be true? Jim Hamilton writes, sin produces death, and on the way to killing us, it robs us of spiritual strength, emotional stability, spiritual power, and logical clarity. Sin destroys us. It promises to build us up, to free us, to give us power, only to tear down, enslave, and debilitate. Yeah, that's what it does. So the inward trouble is David's own sin, and he's lamenting his sin before God. The external trouble is this opposition from enemies. There are people who want to take his life. This happened throughout David's rule, making proof of the phrase, heavy is the head who wears the crown. His kingship was at times incredibly heavy with opposition. Um, sitting by the pool, which is not a devastating condition this week, I made a list in the book I was reading of, of the words that are here. Um, these words that just attempt to communicate all that's happening in David right now. and It's pretty overwhelming what he says. I'll just read you the list I made. Here are the words that he uses in verses 9 through well, at least 18. I don't know where I stopped counting. This is how he describes it. Distress. Grief. Sorrow. Sighing. Wasting away. Dread, forgotten, dead. He feels like he's on the brink of death. Like his life is just moments away from slipping through his fingers. And so he pours out his heart to God. We will face much lighter circumstances than this, and we fail to do that. We learn from this. We Go to God with our troubles. And then third, we ask God to change things. 
life for David is growing more and more dim in verses 9 to 13. And then in verse 14, the dawn breaks over the land and the warmth of the sun is felt on his skin once again. And he trusts. He asks God to change two things specifically. The condition of his enemies and then his own condition. Let's deal with the condition of his enemies that he's asking God to change first. He prays that God would judge the wicked who have him right now in their sights. That he wouldn't be put to shame, but that they would be put to shame. That he would mute their taunting lips and allow them to march silently to hell. Verse 17. It's pretty severe, right? This is what God will do with his enemies. And so David's just asking God to do what is in his heart. Then he asks regarding his own condition that the face, this is such a wonderful prayer, that the face of God would shine on his servant. David may have in mind the experience that Moses had with God in Exodus chapter 34, where the face of Moses itself was shining so bright because he'd been in the presence of God. Or perhaps David is thinking of the ironic blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, which we love to use as our benediction so often. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. It's the same language. So the third thing we see David do in this lament is ask God to change things in the people around him and in his own life. And then fourth, continue to trust. Verse 14 rings like a bell. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. He doesn't let go. He keeps trusting. So here is a living illustration of how to biblically lament. In the midst of sorrow and fear, David calls upon the Lord, tells him his troubles, asks for his hand to change things, and continues to trust. He sings through his sorrows, not just in between them. As we look at the next half dozen verses, there's even more trust on the lips of David as he gives thanks for God's goodness. Before we get there, let me just take a moment to remind us, to remind me, when troubles surround, we've been given this great gift in the Christian life of going to God with them. Your times are in his hand. Your life is not at the mercy of the stock market. Your future is not at the mercy of your boss or your resume. Your joy is much deeper even than your closer relationships. If you're in Christ, it is in Christ. And he rules and reigns over every detail of your life. God, the sovereign God who rules and reigns over all things out of love toward you, his child, Your times are in his hand. And because that's true, you have a song to sing in every sorrow. A third comfort we have in the Christian life is knowing my times are in your hand. Let's say it together. My times are in your hand is a hope in every season. Verses 19 to 24. So let's retrace our steps. David has sung of the refuge and strength. 
He knows God to be. He's rejoiced in his love. He's lamented and brought his troubles to his maker with continuing trust. And now he will tell of God's goodness as he calls us to wait on the Lord, which is incredibly difficult, waiting on the Lord with courage and strength. These final six verses divide into two primary sections. First, there's a, like a song within a song. There's a little hymn of thanksgiving here. And second, there's a call for response from the people of God. Let's look at this hymn of thanksgiving that begins in verse 19. As we think about the angles of the situation David sang of earlier, these topics that he now gives thanks for are almost directly related to each expression of prayer, or at least the anticipation of this answered prayer. David earlier sought refuge in God. Here he gives thanks for God's goodness to those who seek what? Refuge. He had earlier been the victim of verbal attack. Now he gives thanks for the ways that God protects his people from the strife of tongues. He'd asked that God would hear his prayer. And now we are confident that he has. All of this, I believe, flows from verse 19. From the abundant goodness of the Lord. So, praise the Lord, he says. Even when the psalmist is surrounded by danger on all sides, the Lord heard his cry for mercy and redeemed his life. And this was so amazing that this personal experience that David himself had, he couldn't keep it to himself. Notice he now extends this invitation to all of God's people to live their lives filled with loving trust toward God. The final verse contains this call for response. And as the journey comes to a close, the applications, the responses to this text are really built into itself. What does it say there? Love the Lord, all you His saints. Well, just think about verses 1 through 8. How did David respond with love for the Lord? He kept his eyes fixed on Him. His heart set on Him. His uh, His own will submitted to him. His love had action behind it. Be strong, he says. Well, think about verses 9 through 18. Where did the weakness, internal weakness, come from in David's life? From him entertaining sin rather than killing it. So one very practical way for us to pursue strength in the Lord is by fighting our sin. By warring with it, taking it seriously. Don't let sin perform its weakening power in your life. Instead, pursue holiness. There's a hundred ways for you to do that. You can sort it out on your own. And third, let your heart take courage. Take courage, for this darkness shall break to dawn. Oh, lift your eyes. We're almost home. And we're almost done with this sermon. Your life is in his hands, Christian. So you have a hope for every season. Psalm 31 is not merely a psalm to keep close in death. 
but meant to be sung throughout life. My prayer is that this chapter would be of help to us, that we would confidently build our life on the truth. My times are in your hand. And because that's true, we would know the refuge we have in every storm, the song we have to sing in every sorrow, and the hope that is ours in Christ in every season of the soul. Let's pray. Father, I ask for those of us who do feel surrounded on all sides by danger and darkness, questions without answers, that we would be a people who look to you, rejoice in you, sing to you, hope in you. You would deliver us, that our lives would be marked with the goodness, the abundant goodness of our God. Be near to the brokenhearted today. Teach us to lament. Be near to those of us who are weak. Let us find strength in Christ. Those warring sin, even in this moment, give them strength. And let our hope be renewed with the mercies you give us with the rise of each day. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 